With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family owned. So thank you to the Iowa pork farmer. Thank you to the Iowa pork consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. podcast with Miller and Dace going to recap some preseason predictions in this installment of the HN podcast as we are what Steve just five days away from the premiere of Star Wars the last Jedi I know that you and I are both going to be going to the uh, premiere night on Thursday night in separate states of course but uh, we're gonna have to talk about that next week heck we we should almost do a uh, a little last predictions we have at the end of this one if you're up for it i kind of springing that on you a little bit yeah i'm actually submitting a column for my day job tomorrow on five things i wrote it today five things we need to see for the last jedi to live up to the hype so i mean i'll i'll share those bullet points with you real quick at the end of the podcast if you want and then you can react well we've actually had some um gosh what would you call them uh totally off the wall out of nowhere non sequitur requests for sprinkling frosting um on twitter (laughs) as well as the message boards with no context and it makes me a little uncomfortable so we'll actually sprinkle (laughs) some frosting at the end of this one you've started maybe we should change this you know, the, the uh, Lions media is getting fed up with Jim Caldwell because every time they ask him about injuries, every every time he's done this for four years now, he says, check the report, check the report. And and they've actually started a Detroit Lions podcast called Check the Report, yeah. which is hilarious. Actually, yeah. it's a hilarious troll. Yeah. Well, I wonder if we should, ch- along those lines, should we change the name of our podcast to sprinkling some frosting potentially yeah potentially um and we'll see how far that gets with i don't know why that's taken on a life of its own man you never know what people are gonna latch on no you don't you don't (laughs) maybe because it was so funny when we first dropped it and you know what you and i have always believed that if we're having fun we'd like to believe other people are having fun and speaking of fun one thing people really enjoy to see is when you get things wrong i like to see when you get them right but uh, I think some people enjoy uh, thinking that, hey, you know, even Day screws up on his football predictions. So let's get to those right now. These are the 25 predictions that you offered up back in June is when you emailed this to me, late June of 2017, predicting the top 25 things that will or won't happen this season uh, in college football. Let's begin with number one, your first prediction. For the first time ever, a two-loss team will make the college football playoff. I know we talked about this a great deal. You thought there was a possibility for more than one, and it nearly happened with Ohio State. You almost got that one right. Yeah, and we almost had more than one. I mean, we had uh, Auburn was number two in the country with two losses heading into the last week, and then lost as a slight favorite in the SEC championship game, and then Ohio State. As a two-loss team, uh, won the Big Ten championship. USC, as a two-loss team, won the Pac-12 championship. So 
we are drawing ever closer to this. You know, I, I don't know all the schedules for next year yet, obviously, in terms of who's playing who in September. Um, but, uh, you know, this year we had a situation where number one and number three played each other right away. And, of course, Alabama and Florida State, neither one of them even made it to their conference championship games. But we had several teams with big names playing each other early on in the non-conference. And that, that had you know, uh, several good teams going into conference play already with one loss. Auburn against Clemson was another one. We had a lot of those kinds of games. So uh, that makes it harder, I think, to have a, a playoff with all one loss or all undefeated teams. And this year you saw how close we came to actually having multiple two-loss teams. Yeah, it was. It was very, very close. Um, number two, no FBS team will finish the season undefeated. Yeah, that should be a typo. I meant to say Power Five because yeah. that's what I was talking about. But that, yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll give myself a half point for that because that's actually what it was supposed to read, not FBS. But I came pretty close. I mean, Central Florida was the only team that finished undefeated. No Power Five team did finish undefeated. And when you look at the accolades that were being thrown like Alabama's way at the start of the season and everybody thought Ohio State was going to steamroll Oklahoma and steamroll the Big Ten, they ended up with two losses. So... I'm going to give myself a half point on that one. Well, you're grading yourself too hard. That's a full point. A typo is a typo. Um, you probably even mentioned that whenever we did this the first time. So uh, that's a win. And I'm going to keep track of the wins and losses here, changing my fonts to green and red on these so that I can add them up when we're done. All right. Number three, Texas will improve by at least 4.4... 4... 4... 4 Three to four wins in Tom Herman's, Herman's first season. 4.3 is what you had, but maybe that was another typo from back in the day. But four wins. Did they improve by four wins or three wins? They improved. I think they went from five and seven to – I think they only went six and six because yeah. they lost to Texas Tech at the end of the year. Yep, only went and six it, it is and 4.3 because that, that's the average win improvement in the first season with him as a coordinator and a head coach heading into this okay. year. And, and, man, they lost several heartbreakers. USC, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. These were all games that were decided by five or six points or less. Oklahoma State was decided by three. Um, you know, Texas Tech was decided, I think, by three. Uh, Texas was in – USC was in double overtime. They're going to be a team – you know, one of uh, – two of the stats Phil Steele likes in this pre preview every year are turnovers equals turnaround. And teams that had so many close losses the year before, Texas is going to be very high on that list next year because they had a slew of really heartbreaking losses this season. They did indeed. Number four, Oklahoma will not play in the inaugural Big 12 championship game. Yeah, we're off to a slow start. I promise the audience <laughs> these, are get, these are going to get more accurate as we go along. But Oklahoma was the team I was the most wrong about. I, I really thought that you just don't lose a Hall of Fame coach in June and, and plug him in with a guy who's never been a head coach on any level at all and is only 34 years old and didn't have an entire offseason to really um, implement his own system and style and also inherits the former coach's brother as a defensive coordinator. And I think what this really just came down to is in many respects Oklahoma was the team that we thought they were going to be. They were not very good on defense. The running game was still okay, but was not nearly as electric as it was with Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon, for example. And I think what we really underrated is how truly great Baker Mayfield is. And I just want to throw one stat. They ran this during the Army-Navy game yesterday. Top six teams in, ter in terms of yards per pass attempt in college football, Okay. Top five teams are all triple option teams, which is usually the case every year, right? You run, you run, 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 then you fake to try to throw the ball over the top. Number six on that list of yards per pass attempt behind the top five all triple option teams, Baker Mayfield was number six on that list. Hmm. I, I, I think that the level of greatness he presented. Uh, and I go back to the loss they had to Iowa State, and then how he came out afterwards and guaranteed they weren't going to lose again. That reminded me very much of uh, Tim, Tim Tebow. Tebow's junior year when they lost to Ole Miss at home. And, and everybody thought Ole Miss sucked, and then that Ole Miss team ended up winning nine games, similar to how Iowa State ended up winning seven games and being a lot better than people thought. 
And then he came out and guaranteed they weren't going to lose another game, and they did not. You know, and, and when I watch when I watch Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield, it's a lot like watching when he's healthy, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Meaning the the roster's above average. But when he's in the game, he elevates that overall roster tremendously. And and you have to know that you that, you know, even when Oklahoma they may not be as good defensively and in the running game as they usually are in the in the stoop in the post in the stoops and post you know since he implemented his program era but they're still really good and so let's say there's they're b minus on defense in the running game and when in a lot of years they're b plus or a minus well even if they're b minus in those areas john when with what they have at quarterback you have to be two possessions better than them just like with aaron Rodgers, because if you're up by six points or less at the end of the game against Green Bay, you know what's going to happen. You're going to lose. And the same thing is true here as well. I, I go back to the Oklahoma State game, for example, and you really saw the difference between Baker Mayfield and arguably the next best quarterback in, in college football, at least in terms of uh, passing quarterbacks, and that's Mason Rudolph in his own backyard. And you go watch that game, and back and forth they went. Neither team's defense could stop the other. But then – Baker Mayfield leads his team back. They take, they, they get the go-ahead touchdown. And then Mason Rudolph has not one but two chances, two different possessions with good field position to win that game for Oklahoma State and totally change their season and totally change Oklahoma's season. And what happens is Rudolph can't get the job done either time where Baker Mayfield, except for the one fourth quarter against Iowa State, has gotten it done in that situation every time in his career other than that loss to iowa state when you look at every other game baker mayfield has lost clemson in the playoffs ohio state last year houston last year the team was just a lot better than they were and i'd be very leery of that if i were georgia if i'm georgia in that playoff game man i want to pound 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 i cannot i i can't dominate them but not pull away and then hand baker mayfield the ball with a 24 to 20 lead and two minutes to go because i know how that's going to end indeed indeed all right this move to you're i hope you finish strong because this next one mark d'antonio will quote unquote retire as michigan state football coach and be replaced by pittsburgh coach pat narduzzi um d'antonio uh got off the mat so he's going to be around a little while longer a little while longer that that transitions probably ultimately what's going to happen who knows when but nobody saw the season they had coming and when you look at the way they did it they got weather breaks it was literally like everything that went against them the year before just decided it wasn't fair and was going to be for them uh this this year but in the end though they still had to take advantage of that and most of the time they did and Give him credit, man. The guy's built a really good program. He's a really good coach. I'm not. That's not breaking news, obviously. Yeah, and I you know you don't like him, so you uh, it pains you to say that, but you call a spade a spade. Um, number six. This will be Bill Snyder's final season as a college football coach to be determined. That is to be determined. Do you still believe that? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. I think he'll. I do think he's going to step down. I think there is a power struggle there about replacing himself with his son and when you looked at him on the sidelines this year it just reminded me of of, of joe paterno sans sandusky not the, not counting this sandusky scandal where just suddenly it looked like he aged 10 years in once in one year where where you didn't couldn't believe he was that old and then the next year you were like wow he looks really old I thought Snyder looked that way this year. I thought he was really feeble. Um, they only finished, I think it was seven and five. They had a really mercurial offense throughout the course of the year. I think I think he will retire after the bowl game. You know who I would hire if I was them? Mm. Try to. Brett Bielema. Well, you know, he had good years there as the defensive coordinator um, under, under Bill back in the day. But he's adamant about – having his son replace him his and the fan base and the administration doesn't want to do it uh there is uh that this is a pretty big story down there 
that's been going on for a couple of years. It, it's rumored to have been one of the reasons why John Curry left there to go back to Tennessee as the AD, and you saw how things turned out for John yeah. Curry when he made it that move. Didn't work but, out. But so um, uh, that this is an ongoing drama going on down there. I don't know if your old buddy Kevin Keatsman is still doing radio in Kansas City, but he is because he was a he's a K State guy, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, this is a real big drama going on down there about who's going to succeed him and will he get his way and the fan base doesn't want his son. Well, why wouldn't you want Bill Snyder's son? Because he hasn't been a coordinator. He's coached special teams, which as I've explained before on a, on a college football staff, special teams coordinator is kind of where you put the – it's like right field in Little League. You know, it, you, don't, you, you rarely go from there to offensive or defensive coordinator and or head coach. And so the fan base is like, this smacks of nepotism to us. And uh, Bill's like, well, you know, if it weren't for my DNA, y'all would have a 382 win percentage. So you're going to get a second. uh, We're going to sprinkle a little more frosting uh, from the Snyder family on here. Thank you very much. So there's a lot of drama surrounding that. A lot of drama. Number seven, USC will be preseason top five, but will fail to make the college football playoff. Got that one. Yeah, this is just – it doesn't work for them being in the top five. I think this is now the fourth time since 2000 they've been in the preseason top five. And this year they did finish in the top ten. Or, no, it's the fifth time since 2000 they were in the preseason top five. The previous four times before this year, three of them they didn't even finish ranked. So this is the only time they even finished in the top ten at the end of the regular season. So this has just not been – a program, um, or, or I mean, since Pete Carroll left, I should say, since, maybe it's since 2008. It's so because he obviously had several top five teams that did really well. Since the end of the Pete Carroll era, this has not been a program that has handled preseason success well. You know, I, I don't think this is coming later in this year's in the, in this year's crystal ball. There was a stat that we talked about a year or two ago, and we brought it up every year since about how in X of the last X years there's been at least one team that was ranked in the preseason top 10 that didn't finish the year in the final preseason top 25. Do you remember that stat? Yeah, I think it's on average. It's on average. It's been four top 10 preseason top 10 teams in the AP poll finished the season unranked going back. I don't know how long eight ten years now yeah we, we can add another one to the ranks florida state they were ranked third mm-hmm. in the preseason here was the preseason ap top 25 by the way bama ohio state florida state usc clemson penn state oklahoma washington wisconsin and oklahoma state not horrible no they didn't they did pretty well this year mm-hmm. i think michigan was 11th on that list correct right uh they were they finished they finished unranked, so they came close to being one of those teams, but they were number 11 instead. So yep. Georgia started the year 15th, Florida 17th, uh, Miami 18th, Kansas State 20th, South Florida 19th. They actually lived up to it. Uh, Texas 23rd, Tech- Washington State 24, and Tennessee at 25. Um, next up, Kevin Sumlin will be fired as Texas A&M football coach and replaced by North Carolina coach Larry Fedora. So you get a half point. When you start making, you know, when you start doing two-parters, you know, your, your your opportunity to have a direct hit is tougher. But when you do get a direct hit, you should get bonus points. Um, so we'll give you a, a half point on that one. Well, Larry Fedora has A&M ties and has done a really good job at North Carolina. I mean, the, the pre, before this year, the previous three seasons at Carolina, he has had the most wins since Mac Brown coached there in the late 90s. And then this year, they had maybe more injuries than I've ever seen. They had 15 season-ending injuries Mm. on North Carolina's team. That's not counting bumps and bruises, season-ending injuries. That's insane. they, They were playing with an incredibly depleted roster. But even if they had had the season, you know, an eight, nine win season, like many people thought they would, the ability to land Jimbo Fisher would have said they would have said thanks, but no thanks. I mean that's a that's a monster hire for them. And you know, I, no, we, we often talk about ads who don't know how to do their jobs. Let me tell you one ad who does know how to do his job: Scott Strickland at Texas A&M. The last two football coaches he's hired, he brought Chris Peterson to Washington and Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M. That's good. Well, it is, but. 
I will thank him for removing Iowa from the top of the list of the most lopsided, one-sided college football coaching contracts in NCAA history. Uh, Gary Barta had that record with Kirk Ferentz's uh, contract not once but twice. Now Jimbo Fisher, he has the most lopsided, coach lopsided contract ever. Ten years, $75 million, 100% guaranteed. Well, they got the money down there. And if you're going to bring over one of the only four coaches alive right now, that, that, that active coaches who has a national championship, and you're going to get him to leave in the prime of his career at another top ten job, a job that most people would say is better than yours, that's what it's going to take. Uh, next up, Jim Mora will be fired as UCLA football coach and replaced by former Oregon coach Chip Kelly. Direct hit, two points. That's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's really good. So it's 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 nothing's ever going to top Fulmer and Lane Kiffin ever. Because I know, I know you, I know you think that's my uh, that's my let it be. That's my Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, you you, you peaked, you peaked because both of those things. The, the Fulmer firing seemed like you know a bit of a long shot because the guy you know he'd been pretty successful, and yeah, the natives were getting restless, but. But to have it to have Lane Kiffin be his replacement when Lane Kiffin was going into the season as the head coach of the Oakland Raiders, and then to say Kiffin was going to replace him at Tennessee, that's you'll never top that. Which kind of I probably won't. No, I probably won't. Which kind of sucks that you'll never have a better prediction than that one. That's like eight years old or ten years old. Who knows how old it is now. Number 10, Notre Dame will rebound this season under Brian Kelly, and then he will leave to pursue a job in the NFL. Uh, part one, I think they did rebound. They won four games a year ago. Part two, incomplete. So we cannot grade this one fully just yet. His name's going to come up. There's going to be too many openings, and there's just not enough good coaches. His name is going to come up. And when you look at what they have coming back, they lose that entire offensive line, basically. They looks like Josh Adams is going to go pro. They start several seniors on defense. They had it. They improved by five games and they couldn't even make a new year six bowl game. When you and I were kids and Notre Dame won nine games in the regular season, they were playing in a major bowl. Game, sure. They were right. They improved by five games, went nine and three and they're playing LSU in the Capital One Bowl, I think it is. The Citrus Bowl, actually, is what it's called now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I do wonder. And and historically, Notre Dame, even the best Notre Dame coaches don't last more than 10 years. Lou Holtz, Eric Parsegan, Newt Rockney. I think this was year eight for him. Really? So the itch is there, you know. You could um, – uh, we'll see, you know. Next year they got Michigan on the schedule, Michigan State on the schedule. USC on the schedule, Stanford on the schedule. Um, that's four tough ones right there. So we'll see. Um, Bob Stoops will turn down Notre Dame and all their college coaching overtures. The Irish will hire Maryland's DJ Durkin instead. Yeah, I thought, well, I thought Maryland would have a second straight bowl season and then he would be the profile of the young coach everybody likes. Obviously, with the season they just had, they cannot hire him. But if I'm right about Kelly going to the NFL, I'm not sure what their coaching pool looks like. Exactly. I don't. I don't. I don't know immediately where they go. I, I think it's an impossible job to rank. They're not facilities wise where a lot of the other elite programs are. Um, they have a. They have, uh, you know, Stanford esque academic standards. Except you're asking players to live like that in um, South Bend, Indiana, which is a dump. If you've ever been there, uh, compared to Palo Alto, California, which is scenic. Um, scenic. You're not in a conference. So it goes back to what we just talked about. I mean, Stanford went nine and three. They played in the Pac-12 championship game. Notre Dame's nine and three. You know, their, their season seems kind of meaningless right now. It seems like it was like eight years ago. They were number three in the country in the playoff rankings. It was just like three weeks ago. Okay. So. I, I think that's a job where some guys are going to have that in their minds because of just maybe they're Catholic or they grew up loving Notre Dame. It's going to be a top five, ten job to them. 
And then others who maybe don't have those affiliations are going to look at it just from a football standpoint and say, it's kind of impossible. I, it, I can't really win consistently at what the school demands. So, you know, I, I, I think that's why it's so tough to peg their coaching pool when they have openings because it's really one of those beauty is in the eye of the beholder things. And when they got Brian Kelly, who was the hot coach who had built programs at Cincinnati or Central Michigan, Cincinnati, people forget he darn near was going to be the Iowa State coach. We all thought that, actually, when they hired Gene Chizik. Brian Kelly thought he was going to be the Iowa State coach. So, um, you know, the thought was, and then he just had led Cincinnati to undefeated season. This is finally the guy. Then he takes him to the national championship game his third year. They haven't come close to sniffing that, that success. They've had a couple of other double-digit win regular seasons, and then most of the time it's been eight or nine wins, kind of Bob Davey-esque, you know, and then last year's dip. So I'm, I'm not really sure where they are right now in the college football pecking order. I mean, we know where they are historically. Historically, it's a top-five all-time program. But, you know, when you're the kids you're recruiting now, history to them – is, you know, uh, Tim Tebow, who we were just talking right, about. Right, right. Not only that, Steve, but, you know, you and I grew up in an era where Notre Dame was, you know, arguably the biggest brand in the sport, or certainly one of the top three. But you and I, are, you know, I'm going to be 47 in March. And mm-hmm. that's not, you know, if, to, to go land a great college football coaching gig at 47, you're not old. But it's starting to tick a little bit. And I guess my point is, is that most of, you know, in, in 10 years from now, the coaches that Notre Dame's going to be looking at will basically not have grown up with Notre Dame being a major brand. Exactly. Not even a top yep. 25 brand. Yep. Is, there a, is there a Scott Frost for Notre Dame out there right now? No, and because they haven't had a lot of national success in that time, you know, Bob Davey was a big-time defensive coordinator. He, he invented the wrecking crew at A&M under, under R.C. Slocum, then went to Notre Dame. So it was logical to have him be the new head coach there, right? So you're not taking somebody off of Charlie Weiss's staff. You're not taking somebody who coached for Ty Willingham. You're not taking somebody who coached for the coaches that you fired. And so because they've had so many strings of mediocrity here, uh, all the coaches that helped Brian Kelly build this program either have left for other jobs or he's jettisoned them in the last two yeah, years. There's this no pipeline. Gonna, yeah, there's no pipeline as goes to what you're trying to establish, which is why if he when and if he wears out his welcome or leaves, it is really tough to peg, particularly this year. What we what you what I predicted in the summertime would happen has happened. We've had the coaching carousel done earlier than ever before, even the wacky zany one at Tennessee. Why? Because that early signing period has forced everybody to crap or get off the pot. Well, you know, we don't have Black Monday in the NFL until the until for another four weeks. It's week 14. So you have 15, 16, 17, and then Black Mondays after that, after the holidays. Well, so Black Monday would actually be on New Year's Day, now that I think about it. So, yeah, that's, three, that's four more weeks. Well... <laughs> I don't know what Notre Dame's coaching pool. It's not going to be a college coach. I, I can't imagine. I don't know what existing college coach signs a bunch of kids in on December 20th. And and knowing Notre Dame's highfalutin standards, I don't think they frankly would go get a guy that just signed a re- bunch of recruits on December 20th to go bring him in to take another to take this job right now. So if Brian Kelly were to leave for an NFL job, I I don't know what their pool of prospects to take they've tried every route they tried the nfl coordinator that didn't work they tried their own former coordinators that didn't work they they tried the 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 new hotness in ty willingham who had taken stanford to a rose bowl where they had not been since jim plunkett was the quarterback in the early 70s that didn't work uh and now they're bringing in brian kelly you know who was the new hotness again that has kind of worked i mean he's made them respectable but they're not a national power and and they still have not had Back-to-back double-digit win seasons. Gosh, I'm trying to remember the last time they did it. It's been a long time. I think it, I think Lou Holtz was the coach. The last time they had back-to-back double-win, double-digit win seasons. 
I'm going to pull that up. All-time yearly records. Notre Dame. Got it right there. Last back-to-back double digits is 93 and 92. That's Rick Meyer and and Reggie Brooks and um, uh, Jerome Bettis. Yeah, that's, that's Lou Holtz. Yeah, that was in the midst of 88. 12 wins and 89 12 wins and 99 wins 91 10 wins 92 10 wins and 93 11 wins so that was in the uh, that's a that's a that's a quarter of a century ago yeah bro that's it's a long time ago and they've had one wow. two three four double digit win seasons since that 93 11 win season just four there was there was a stat until recently um that Iowa State had won more bowl games in the 2000s than Notre Dame had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Couldn't happen to a better program. Number 12, after losing four games in a season only once, from 1969 to 2001, Nebraska will lose at least four games for the 14th straight season. That happened. They lost another coach. Um... Number 13, Alabama and Washington will be the only repeat Power 5 conference champions. And yeah, I was wrong. Yeah, I, I was really surprised at Washington. They they just never – they brought back so many guys from that team last year, and they just – they have a really good record, but they just haven't really looked good all year. Really, the only time they looked good all year was the Apple Cup game against Washington State. That was really the only time all year they lived up to their preseason billing. Jim Harbaugh will get his first win over Urban Meyer on November 25th. I'm just going to put that in there every year until it actually happens. Yeah, this is the odds are, odds are that this is my new uh, uh, Steve Spurrier retire. Remember, I put that in there yeah. every year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, sooner or later, you're just going to be right. So right. Number 15 for the 14th straight season, the Miami Hurricanes will not win double-digit games in the regular season. Came kind of, close to that one being right, but they did go ten and yeah, one. I'm kind of reminded of um, Carl Lewis when he sang that national anthem many years ago, and he said, "Hold on now, <laughs> wait for the big finish." <laughs> hey, I've gotten several of these right actually. So. And the Rockets, red glare. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great analogy. Uh, number sixteen, the Heisman Trophy. You cut me deep, Shrek. <laughs> the Heisman Trophy finalists will be in alphabetical order: Saquon Barkley. J.T. Barrett, Jake Browning of Washington, Lamar Jackson of Louisville, and Mason Rudolph of Oklahoma State. You got one out of five. Yeah, that wasn't good. Barkley was fourth, though. So you had five here. So if we were going to do a top five, I don't don't know who was fifth in the vote getting. If I would have told you a month ago, Saquon Barkley would have invited to New York, what would you have said? Yeah, get off the crack pipe, bro. Watch the Iowa tape again. That's what I would have said. Yeah. Uh, Mason Rudolph will be the first Oklahoma State player to win the Heisman Trophy since Barry Sanders. That did not happen. Right position, right state. I was close. You were close. I'm going to start handing out half points here. All three service. By the way, Baker Mayfield joins Herschel Walker as the only three-time Heisman Trophy finalist ever. That's pretty amazing. That's a, that's a good career. Yeah, it's not bad. All three service academies will qualify for bowl games for the second year in a row. Did that happen? That did happen, correct. All right, I'm going to go back up here and uh, find my my successful colors to highlight that. Number 19. After last year's banner season for the ACC, Florida State will be the only team in the league to win double-digit games in the regular season. Ooh, man. Yeah, that wasn't good. That wasn't good. <laughs> hey, folks, I want you to know, Steve is the one that said, hey, let's let's do a little reconciliation, which we always do. But just, you know, he had to know that this wasn't going to wind up, so he wasn't ducking anything. All right, the results of the top five early non-conference games will be Alabama over Florida State. That's a win. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ohio State over Oklahoma. That is a loss. Texas over USC. I think USC won late. That was a really good game. In double overtime. Uh I almost got that one right, though. Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be the the title of this podcast. I almost got that one right. Michigan over Florida. (laughs) You nailed that one. (laughs) Auburn over Clemson. You did almost get that one, too. So um, you got what? um, One. Two of them. Two of those? Two out of five. Yeah, two of those. Okay. Uh, number 21, Virginia Tech, Tennessee, and Colorado will begin the season ranked in the top 25, but will not finish there. 
Did Tech ruin that for you? Two of Tech snuck in at the end, and two of them started there but did not finish there, as I predicted. But, I mean, is this the end of the season? I mean, the AP will have one more poll, though, right? That, that's true. I'd probably give, I'd give myself a half point, though, for getting two of those right. Okay, I'm just looking for wins here. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Number 22, Notre Dame, NC State, and Toledo won't be ranked in the preseason top 25, but will finish there. Notre Dame was ranked... Were they ranked in the preseason? Let me go here. Preseason... Notre Dame was not ranked. None of those were ranked. And you said that they would be ranked in there. So that's NC State, Notre Dame, and Toledo. Toledo was pretty good this year. They finished with 11 wins, yeah. So we we can't say for sure, but Toledo... um, Gosh, did Toledo not get... Hang on a second. AP Top 25. Notre Dame's in it. Toledo is not in it. And NC State, NC State is 26 right now. Toledo is 28. So that is still to be determined as well, since the end of the season has not come upon us. Number 23. The I fo- give myself a half point though, because the NC State is in the college football playoff rankings. This feels a little bit like whose line is it anyway? Now, getting warden points. Um, the following first-year coaches will lead their teams to bowl wins, or lead their teams to bowl games this season. Tom Allen at Indiana. Don't think they got in. Wrong. Major Apple at Houston. Correct. PJ Fleck, no. Tom Herman, yes. Nope. Tom Herman, yep. no. They didn't get in. No, Tom Herman's a yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're in uh, the Texas Bowl yeah. against Missouri. Lane Kiffin, yes. Yes. Tim Lester at Western Michigan. Nope, they stayed home. They're bowl eligible, but they didn't get a bid. Well, that's that's I could award you some points there. Uh, Lincoln Riley, yes. Yes. Mike Mike Sanford at Western Kentucky. Yes. Charlie Strong, South Florida. Yes. yes. And Willie Taggart at Oregon. Yes. No, that, that actually who was four and eight. Who was four and eight last that year? That actually is a no. Uh, if I'm going to be doing well, there's they're in a bowl game. He let the following first year coaches will lead their teams to bowl games. He is no longer their coach, so he can't lead his team to a bowl game. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> now we're playing. Now we're playing some. <laughs> oh, uh, all right, number twenty-four. <laughs> oh my! Li- liquidate on these teams. That's pretty good, by the way. That's it's not bad. Good. Yeah, that, yeah, it is. Yeah, that is. That's a, there's a lot of a lot of points in there. Liquidate on these teams that will win at least two fewer games than they did last year. Clemson, no. Colorado, no. Yes. Yes. Georgia Tech. By the way, my season over under best bets were Maryland over win, Colorado under win, Western Kentucky under win, um, NC State over win. I won all four of them. Those are my best bets at the top at the beginning of the year. That's pretty good. Um, yep. Georgia Tech won nine games last year, and this year won five. Won five. So you, you nailed that. Um, yep. Temple. Win. Van, Vanderbilt. Win. Wake Forest. I don't think that's a win. Nope, that's a loss. I get them wrong every year, man. That guy's a good coach. I hate him. Yeah, that he guy. He me wrong every year. Yeah. Jim Grobe's still Maybe there? Maybe that's who Notre Dame would hire. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. Okay, Jim Grobe's not still there. Western Kentucky? Gone for a while. Yeah, they finished fewer than two with with more with, uh, six wins, not nine. Uh, and, or seven wins, not nine. And Western Michigan, they had to because they were undefeated last year. Oh yes, they went from they went from uh, twelve to six. Yes. yes. 
Number 25. Last one. Invest in... That's the, really good. That is really good. That is. It is. Invest in these teams that will win at least two more games than they won last year. Auburn? Yes. Yes. Florida Atlantic? I think so. Yes. Iowa State? Hey, let me tell you about Florida Atlantic right now. Lane Kiffin is the second winningest coach in the history of Florida Atlantic right now. That's a good job. He's 10 and 3. He's highly He's entertaining on Twitter, by the way. Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Iowa State, certainly. NC State? Yes. They went from 6 to 8. Okay. So, yeah. Northwestern? They won they nine. From, yeah, they won six last year. So yeah. Okay. Uh, so far, we got a clean sleep on the table. Northern Illinois. Yes. Yeah, they went from five to eight, I believe. Notre Dame, yes. Oregon, yes. 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 Oregon State, no way. No. UCLA, no. Well, they went from four. No, they won one more game. One more game. And Texas. One more game, so no. All right. Those are your top 25. That's, that's still pretty good. It's not bad. That's still pretty good. Uh, some incomplete still, so we'll revisit this in a month or so, and then I'll add up the points and tell you how you did. But I got to think you've done better than this in the past. You know, it's like Mel Kuyper says when he does his mock draft. Mm-hmm. He's like, if I can get like seven or eight picks right, I think it's really good. So, you know, I tried it. That's why I talk about being in the ballpark. I'm forecasting events. When I when I sent that to you, when I finished it, was late June. It was published um, beginning of July. I worked on it throughout the course of June. So I mean, I'm I'm forecasting events that won't take place for four to six months. So the goal is to at least be. If I'm hovering in the ballpark, then I'm on the right train of thought, even if I don't have all the exact particulars worked out and how they you know how they finished yes but yes. that's not easy to do man that's not easy to do to sit there and try and forecast hey bro I, I didn't do one so i'm i'm not knocking it i think it's entertaining as heck and i think it's pretty good um now what everybody's everyone's been waiting for if you're not a star wars fan you can turn this off now and then before you do that ask yourself what what's wrong with you um, for those of you who are Star Wars fans, all right, so you are going to write something for the day gig that's going to appear on Monday, right, for Conservative Review? Yes. Okay, so this podcast, people won't like listen to it till Monday, so go over. Steve will have a much more long-winded uh, and likely de- detail-specific write-up at uh, – what's the website where they can find it? Just con- conservativereview.com, and okay. I'll have it on my Twitter account tomorrow. Okay. okay. Yep, and I'll, and I'll retweet it. So you've got five predictions, or t- tell us what it is that you're doing. These are, these are top five things we need to see in Star Wars The Last Jedi for it to be as epic as the, the, the advanced buzz is claiming it is. Okay, these are top, top five things you think we need to see. These aren't yes. necessarily predictions. These are things that if you don't see them, you're going to be disappointed. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Fire away. All right. Number one, I, we need some backstory on. By the way, wait. By the way, let me, let me stop. Let me let me stop. You have not read any spoilers. You have not, and I'm sure that it, I'm sure you have. And I just want to make hear it out of your mouth. No. Yeah. These no, are just, yeah. No, I have not. I'm avoiding yeah. spoilers like the plague this week. You know what really ticks so me I'm, off? Why in the world would you have lift the social media embargo already? Why would you do that? Because you think you have a really good movie. <laughs> well, the premiere was last night. Yeah, and they lifted the social media embargo, which I've not seen anything, and I'm going to avoid it. I just don't like that. Anyway, go ahead. Number one, I, I know the director Ryan Johnson has already said we're not going to get a lot, but the number one thing I think we have to see is we need some backstory on the First Order and Snoke, who these people are, what's going on, and and it's not the same as well. Steve in the original Star Wars, the the you know Darth Vader just appeared and the Emperor was alluded to. Yeah, but this was the first movie in the series. We didn't know that it was a trilogy. We didn't know that there was a saga. We didn't know what the backstory was. We're now 40, 40 years into this. So, in fact, this is the 40th anniversary this year. And so we're all immersed in this, you know, our entire lives, our kids are, their entire lives. So, you know, we need to know some of who the bad guys are, what drives them. Is, is Snoke a Sith? Um, you know, it, his name is actually an acronym, 
for it could be if you if you if his name were an acronym it would stand for sith no one knew existed so who is he where did they come from what's driving them what's motivating them i think we need to learn a, at least a little bit about that in this movie john okay um yes i hope so i think this movie is going to be the longest runtime for any star wars movie in history so maybe, Which means there's no excuse for not telling us at least something. Right, yes. and frankly, they could roll this baby for three and a half hours. I'd, I'd love every second of it. Agreed. Um, number two. We're going to see Luke Skywalker being a badass. Okay, and I I go back to the best scene in Rogue One, which might be, which might be the best scene or among the best scenes in any Star Wars movie ever. Mm-hmm. And that's the Darth Vader can of whoop-ass scene. Now, if you know the story of that scene... It was not in the original film. It was added in post-production when they thought, you know, we got to give the audience a little bit more Vader. And that scene was added at the end. Okay, so we got to see something. You know, it's been 34 years since Return of the Jedi when Luke fully comes into his powers. But now we're talking about a Jedi master. All right. He need there needs to be some moment where dude just takes names, just opens a can. We got to have some moment of Luke Skywalker being a badass. I don't personally think you're going to get it. I think you'll get that in the one that they'll release two years from now. Um, I don't want to see, you know, progressive, effeminate Luke either. That'll piss me off. Um, you know, dude's sixty some years old now. The character and the man. And yeah, I'd like to see a little payoff, but I think we're going to see disillusioned Luke, a guy who thinks all his life, you know, everything that Ben talked to him about, everything Yoda talked to him about, he's he he will have spent time uh, at the first Jedi Temple, pouring over the the books of the 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 books of the wills, and he'll basically think that the Jedi way and order that he was taught has either been corrupted from what it was originally or that the Jedi aren't these knights in riding white stallions that we've always thought there's a lot more gray to them than there is purity and he's going to be disillusioned that's what I think the Luke we're going to get in this one but I think before this trilogy is over we will get that payoff I just don't think you're going to get it in this one all right, here's the third thing I think we need to see is we need to see a heroic send-off for Princess Leia. Now, when she, when Carrie Fisher died last year at this time, uh, they said that um, she was not scheduled to be killed off in this movie and actually had uh, a major role in Episode Nine. And remember, they had the whole debate about whether they were going to put her in digitally or not. Right. Well, they've had an entire year to, to edit that in post-production. And if she's not a princess now but a general then there needs to be some kind of blaze of glory, sacrificing yourself for the greater good, far more heroic ending than her former husband Han Solo received two years ago. I think this movie needs to see that. The challenge with that is it wasn't written into this movie. And if they didn't film anything like that, how do you stage... Off, off camera, off screen, other than a cutaway to her, like they, like they showed in the, in the trailers, where she's looking, you know, at us, and they cut to Kylo Ren, ready to pu- pull the trigger, you know, push the button on blowing something up that it looks like she's on. I mean, that's you're got to do it with cutaways. You're got to do it off screen in a way. Um, if you didn't shoot a bunch of sequences or scenes. That wow! That we're going to wind up on the cutting room floor. I don't know how they're going to do that, Steve. I don't either, but that's why they get paid the big bucks. You mean it's it's not, it's not going to make you feel good if in the crawl for episode nine it says uh, General? No, they can't. General Organa is dead. Yeah, yeah, they can't do that. That's weak sauce. Agreed. No, no, no. There should be some tears shed in a theater for her. It's going to be tough opinion. for him to do it, but we'll see. Number four, we got to find out who Ray's parents are. This has been the two-year debate since the Force, the Force Awakens. Is she a Skywalker? Is she a Solo? Is she a Kenobi? Now, my official prediction is she's a nobody. I think she's not related to anybody. I think she's a wholly new character discovered on the outskirts of the galaxy who represents a new tectonic movement in the Force. 
just like Anakin Skywalker originally was. And I think that's what she represents. Um, and I think you sort of alluded to it earlier, this melding of, 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 you know, light and dark and gray. I think that's what she represents. I think that's why she hears all the voices of Palpatine and Kenobi and all of them when she first picks up uh, Skywalker's uh, lightsaber from Maz Tanada in The Force Awakens. So that is my theory. She's a nobody, like Anakin was a nobody, discovered on the outskirts of the galaxy who represents a tectonic shift evolution in the Force. That's my prediction. Okay, that's, that is an interesting one. How do you reconcile that with she was clearly placed on Jakku by someone? And she was placed there and put in the hands of that, oh, I don't know what his name is, Pust or whatever. You know, the guy that says portions. Yes. Um, and, and he was holding her hand as a ship flew away. So would someone, you know, if you want to say that she's a solo, would Han or Leia put her in the charge of a dude that seems somewhat nefarious? No. Would Luke? No, so I don't think she's a Skywalker. Would somebody from the dark side? Yes. Would Snoke? Yes. So I'm not saying she is a progeny of Snoke or she's not a Palpatine, but I think she may have come from the dark side lineage or was spotted by someone from the dark side and she was placed there for a later date. That's what I. That's think. entirely possible. It could also be she had her own parents, her own Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen, right. were her actual parents, who had no idea how to control the fact that their kid was the Omen. And well, so they just yeah, they're off on this world and said, "Hey, you take it from here. We're out of here. You know, this kid's driven us nuts enough. You know, we can't we can't handle this any longer." Do you think Damien, it's on your hands? Right. Enjoy. Do you think Kylo's reaction in the Force Awakens when he said, "What girl"? That, that to me it seemed like he was aware of her that it wasn't just some random thing it's that he was aware that somebody was there that's what I think I don't think that was a random what girl reaction it's like okay there's a, there's some girl and then when he when he when he was you know reading her mind with the force and her memories with the force you know he was talking about there were other things there during that scene. It's been so long since I watched it. It made me think it wasn't just some random. So, Well, here's the issue we have with all of that. We have a young girl who, by the end of the film, picks up a lightsaber she's never used before. And we see Luke Skywalker nearly fully as a trained as a Jedi Knight get his ass handed to him by Darth Vader. Okay? We see a young girl who's had approximately three minutes more of, of lightsaber training than you and I have had, just freaking pistol whip Kylo Ren in full, into full millennial snowflake emo meltdown. Okay. All right? Yeah. So explain then how he All doesn't right. know who she is, how Luke doesn't know who she is. That, that, that's a major plot hole. In my view, the only explanation is she's a nobody. She's that they never saw coming. She's very adept at using a staff. Uh, yep. we, we see that. And Kylo Ren was also basically fighting with one hand tied behind his back because he just took a freaking glancing blow from Chewbacca's crossbow laser So why cannon. not with the other hand force choke her and just say, enough, little girl, I've got other things. Well, to do, see, now you're bringing that up. I mean, if, to me, all these movies, if I had the force, I'd just be force choking the hell out of people. I wouldn't even I know, bat, I know. bat an eye. I, I, I would be like a walking fair catch signal. <laughs> You would not. I mean, there'd be like a halo rule. You would never get within two yards. No. Of me. There's a force choke. Here's a force choke. Everywhere a force choke. <laughs> yeah. I've always felt that way too. Just choke them out. All right. Number five. <laughs> number five. Speaking of Kylo Ren, we need a less whiny Kylo Ren. I mean, the first half of the Force Awakens when he's got that helmet on, you're like, all right. I don't know that he, we can ever do Darth Vader again, but I think this generation's going to have a more than suitable um, replacement. The minute he takes that helmet off, man, it's full millennial snowflake. It's full on emo. It's full on emotion. It's full on whining. And I don't mean of the tension between the light and the dark variety. I mean of the Hayden Christensen. I just want to. I just want to. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't Hayden Christensen bad. It's bad. It's bad enough. You know. I mean, either you are act like you're a Lord of the Sith for goodness sakes. I want to 
put you over my knee and, and spank you. Enough with the boy who can shave act. Man up, bro. We, ne- we never got the, they hate me. We never got that level of garbage. All now, right. I, I will grant that. Now that you, now that you <laughs> remind me of that scene, you're right. That's pretty bad. You're right. It was horrible. Um, now, I'm hoping, because of how much we both respect and like J.J. Abrams, and gosh, I wish we would have like podcasted Lost all those. I know we did some of those radio shows, but that would have been fun. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, I, I didn't like it when they took the mask off, but they had to do it for a reason because they needed to show that this person's young. The, he still has internal conflict. He's still evolving. Um, you know, on the one hand, he did some pretty baddie stuff in that opening scene. Uh, on the other, he's still a dude that has this internal conflict. They, you know, the, one of the the greatest villain of our life and one of the greatest in movie history, movies history, is Darth Vader. And yep. what I have not liked since The Force Awakens is seeing Hayden Christensen or seeing, I'm sorry, um, Adam Driver who plays Kylo Ren, seeing him, A, in other movies, B, seeing him in commercials, and seeing him acting funny on talk shows and things like that, I can't can't stand it. You know one thing we never, ever saw and never will see from Darth Vader? The mask off. Until the Mm -hmm. end when he was dying and then he was an old man, and even then I didn't really care for that. So the mystique and mysticism of Kylo Ren has already been shattered because they they chose to show his face. Um, so they're going to have to explore him and his emotions a little bit more. But I hope, you know, do, do you think do you think he's going to drift towards the towards the middle, and 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 Ray will be tempted by the dark? At this point, I'll settle for him being him drifting towards adulthood. Let's start with that. I I just I I wanted I just wanted to slap him. I wanted I wanted to ground him. You can't tell me that you can't tell me there weren't numerous times that you winced at Luke Skywalker in the original trilogies and how that how thinly written some of those scenes were with him and how whiny he was with Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen. And, you know, I mean, maybe not to this extent, but there was some pretty bad schlock. With yeah, but he is, he's well. a boy on a farm that, that wants out. He's George Bailey in Bedford Falls. There's got to be more to life than this. That's not... Kylo Ren is supposed to be the, the, the badass of the dark side. He is supposed to be this generation's Darth Vader. And instead, I mean, he's more like Caillou. Enough. Enough, enough, enough. Write me an adult, please. Okay? Enough. See, but, Now, now yeah. I almost made number five a reason for Poe Dameron's character to actually exist. That was almost number right. five. Okay. Can you give us a reason why he's even in the, in the, in these movies? That would be my fifth reason. Um, I, you know, I think he served a purpose in the first one, but he certainly doesn't deserve, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of screen time in this next one. Um, at all. Uh, I'm curious to see, you know, what Benicio del Toro's character is. And, and how he plays into this. Um, mm-hmm. it, it would be neat if we got a little bit of Kylo backstory in this from Luke. Basically mm-hmm. telling Ray, you know, burying his soul of, you know, Kylo coming in and laying waste to his, uh, you know, new Jedi temple training facility that he was building. The Knights of Ren coming and blowing that up. But I'd also, I mean, at some point in time, and maybe it would have to be in a novelization of you know Kylo's story, how did he go from Ben Solo? Was he a kid that mom and dad didn't have time for because mom and dad are generals in this army trying to take on you know to to lead the rebellion into a new form of government which takes all their time and nobody paid any attention to me, and I you know was left to play with uh, matches, that sort of a thing. So I don't know. I, obviously, we can't get all these we should things all, in this movie. We should, that, see that that's a whole millennial snowflake thing. Mommy and daddy didn't love me enough. Hey, man, they're only trying to save human civilization. And their boarding school they shipped you off to, Luke Skywalker's the headmaster. Suck it up, buttercup. All right? Come on, man. (laughs) That's classic millennial emo snowflake garbage. Everything you just said. Everything you just said. 
I can't believe my parents sent me off to learn at the feet of Luke Skywalker every day. What a terrible existence this is. They just didn't love me enough. Do you think we'll see Hayden Christensen return in the form of Anakin's Force Ghost? I think we will see Force Ghosts in this movie. I do. Which ones? I do. I think you'll see Kenobi, and I think you'll see Anakin. See, and I would, actually, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw all three: Kenobi, Anakin, and uh, Yoda. Oh, uh, what, what's what's the name of the actor that played Kenobi in the prequels? Uh, Ewan McGregor. Do you think it'll be Ewan McGregor as Kenobi? Yes, I think it'll yeah. be him. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I would Cause love because they're about to announce that the standalone that's Kenobi the, film. That's the next standalone movie. Yeah. He 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 is one. Of, he might be my. Oh, it's so tough. I mean, I love Han Solo, but I I think the best acting, which is kind of a stretch for Star Wars, you know, Ewan McGregor is probably right up there for me. I mean, I thought Ewan McGregor was the only person that was capable of rising above his material in the prequels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, even um, gosh, the other the guy that they that that Darth Maul killed, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. I mean, obviously, he's one of the greatest actors of his generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they had him in a movie where. We had 15 minutes of, yippee, I'm pod racing. Just, oh my gosh, that movie's so freaking horrible. Yeah, it is. Just It doesn't, absolutely... it doesn't wear well. Oh my God. The, the, CGI, the CGI looks like, um, the CGI now looks like a video game trying to look like a real movie. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you if you if you came into my household now and and asked my either my 15 year old daughter or my eight year old daughter, hey, let's sit down and watch um, the Phantom Menace. You know what they tell you? It's not necess- mm. It's not necessary, and we don't watch that in our house. No need for it. <laughs> you know, several years ago, this story reminded me of something that happened with my own kids. Several years ago, when all our kids were younger, um, you remember the old Promise Keepers that the old Colorado football coach. Mm-hmm. You know, Bill McCartney had gone for so many years. And then they kind of had like a, a, a corporate split. And they tried to bring it back a few years ago. And they wanted one of their launching states to be Iowa. And somebody that knew McCartney's assistant knew me and said, hey, this guy knows like a lot of the church people in Iowa. He can help you kind of organize an event or, you know, figure out who you need to talk to. So mm-hmm. he came out here to have dinner with, with with at our house with all of us, and he brought his son. And his son came in, great young man, probably early 20s. And he's wearing this really cool, um, you know, sport shirt, like a pullover. And I didn't recognize the logo or the team. I don't know what it was, but it looked really cool. So, we, you know, we sat down, talked about Promise Keepers for a while. Then in the middle of dinner, it's getting more casual and what goes on in our private lives. And. Um, Zoe uh, asks um, what his asked his son hey what's your what team's your shirt for and he tells him the name of the team and Anna's like what sport is that because he says hey I'm a professional athlete and he tells him the name of the team and Anna's like what sport is that well he's the goalie for the Denver MLS franchise (laughs) And as soon as he says professional soccer, our kids are like in, in mid-bite, and they just stop chewing, and they all look at each other, wondering if their dad's going to go off on his soccer rant. Yes. And you, and he suddenly stops, and he looks at his dad, and the dad's like, is there something wrong? And Anna's like, uh, we don't do soccer here, or something like that. <laughs> and so we had like a big long conversation about that. That was kind of funny when we look back on it now. Yes. But just you telling me that about the Phantom Menace reminded me of that moment with my own kids. Yeah, we don't allow it, um, and we adhere to the uh, machete order. Uh, are you familiar with that? I am. I wish I would have known about it before I, I introduced Noah to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about it before I introduced him to it. But though. you know, I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised though that you just didn't innately go there, because if you did, so you introduced Noah in in story order. Yes, dude, you ruined Empire Strikes Back. I know I did. I know. Holy crap! I mean, I don't know all of your failings as a father, but that's got to rank highly. 
it, it ranks pretty high, but I have more than made up for it. In the okay, all right. I've, okay. I have spoiled that young man ever since. Okay. So well, you needed to, because you've seen you've seen the video I took of Grace. Her yeah, I shared it on my own Facebook while I loved it so much. I mean, yeah. that's like, and then I tried that then uh, a few months later with Mary. She's like, "Oh no, we, we we talked about that in the playground." For somehow Grace never knew, and that gave me one of my favorite moments that I'll ever have. So, all right, that uh, Grace and I are going to do an instant reaction take, even though she doesn't know it. She still does not know this, and I don't want her listening. But after we go to these Star Wars movies, the last two or three years. I have one of my digital recorders in my car, unbeknownst to her, and I record. Nice. Um, and on the way home, I record all of our conversations so that when we get old, I can play those back and we'll just sit and laugh and enjoy that. So Nice. That's very cool. All right. I'm sure Dace and I will have a uh, full podcast worth of breakdowns because it is Star Wars after all next week. Thank you one and all for listening to this installment of the HN Podcast, including our sponsors. Thank you to Heartland Flag Poles and Flags, the Iowa Pork Producers, and, of course, Exile Brewing Company, and we will talk to you very soon.